a reading from the Gospel of John. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew you always hear me, but I've said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. My friend Karen Spears Zacharias uh, several years wrote a book entitled, Will Jesus Buy Me a Double Wide Because I Need More Room for My Plasma TV? <laughs> in it are vignettes of prosperity gospel folk and others whom I would judge to offer more authentic representations and embodying of the gospel of Jesus Christ. On page 129, she tells the story of the Marine who leads Love Wins Ministries in Raleigh, North Carolina. You may have heard of him two or three years ago when he and those he works with were uh, threatened with being jailed because they were feeding homeless the homeless population uh, on a downtown park in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hugh's an interesting fella. He's a Quaker minister. Uh, Diane and I uh, gave him a ride back from South Carolina to Raleigh one time. Uh, his, his ministry focuses on relationships rather than outcomes, just like your friendships do with, uh, with those around you. It's not what you, uh, the outcome, but it's the relationship. In any case, Lena, 59, uh, sober for two years, struggling with liver disease, first met Hugh when she was going through a rough patch and was, uh, was behind on her light bill, her electric bill. Could you help me out? No, I don't have the means to do, do so, Hugh said. I thought you were my friend. I am. Then why won't you help me out? She assumed that he had the money, but was simply too, uh, too stingy to help her. 
but she didn't know you's story. Tell you what I'll do, Lena. I can't keep the power company from turning your lights off, but I will come and sit with you in the dark when they do. We all know some things in life that are what has been called Humpty Dumpty brokenness, too broken to mend. Things that we're utterly unable to fix, to repair, no matter how much money, time, talent we have. And the best we can do is weep with those who weep. We know the biblical story, don't we? Jesus shed tears, tears of grief, but he was not helpless. The situation was not hopeless. Death was and is not the, the end. That's a powerful promise for us today on this All Saints Sunday. Jesus wept. He wept over his friend Lazarus. He wept with and for the people. Jesus weeps because God cares. Give God your worries and your burdens, for God cares about you, we read in 1 Peter. Sometimes when that darkness closes in, we wonder, does anybody care? Does anybody understand? Tears remind us that God cares. The suffering and death of Jesus assure us that God and God's Son have been through the darkness as well. Jesus shared our grief, our pain, our sense of loss, and understands. That's what God's like. God is like a good parent who understands when and how it hurts. When our lives are shattered, God helps us pick up the pieces and make something of what's left, redeem what is left. We face a lot of death in the course of our living, don't we? I told Jack Rich Wednesday night that I'd reached a tipping point. I checked the obituaries in the Hickory, North Carolina newspaper, and there were as many people older than me as there were younger than me. We face a lot of death, don't we? But death does not have the ultimate power for us. Nevertheless, it is extremely painful to lose someone or something we love and value. We lose a job, our child goes off to kindergarten, first grade, college, our marriage ends. We get to that age when no one really wants to hire us because we're too something or other. We're too old, we're too well qualified, we're too expensive, we're too out of date with our skills, we're too lacking in health, and we grieve. A loved one gets sick and dies and because we have losses, we grieve, and it's absolutely appropriate under such circumstances to cry. In fact, it's even healthy. Jesus weeps over every one of our losses, every one of our disappointments, every one of our failures. And all of us in this room have lived long enough to have some of all of those, haven't we? Some, the, some there that day thought Jesus' tears indicated how much he had loved Lazarus. Others thought his tears were less genuine, for after all, he'd failed to show up when he, he could do something, or so they thought. Some more recently have said that perhaps Jesus' tears were because of lack of faith of those around him. Tears for his own death, 
Tears about the frailty of life. Tears that no one really understood what he was about. Remember the disciples at crucifixion desert. Perhaps sadness that his friend had died. Perhaps all of that and more. Perhaps all of that and more. What What an incredible gift to have a Savior who weeps. A Savior who cares about us so much that when we hurt, our Savior hurts. Jesus faces the truth of that situation. He goes to the tomb. And while you and I may have been with someone when they died, it's never pleasant. It can be, and I pray it is for you, holy. But it's not pleasant. It's deeply painful. Martha speaks the truth, doesn't she? Lord, there's already a stench. He's, it smells. He's, he's been dead for four days. And standing at Lazarus' tomb, a cave with a stone lying against it, all of a sudden, doesn't this story sound familiar? Haven't we heard this story before? A cave, a stone. What story is this? Haven't we heard this same story with with a different body in the cave and, and a different set of characters? Jesus risks his own death by calling Lazarus out of the tomb. In fact, Jesus assures his own death. This is too much for the religious establishment. In verse 45 and following, The religious authorities decide it's time for him to die because too many people are following him. What's going to happen if we let him go? Everybody will believe. This revelation of God, this sign of God's work is the event that finally and directly leads to Jesus' death. After all, too many people are being convinced something's got to be done. But Jesus looks into the tomb and yells, Lazarus, come out! And by doing that, Jesus assures his own death. Yes, the darkness continues to gather all around him, but we confess it's not the final word. We are freed to live. We can stare death in the face without flinching. Even our own death, even our own pain. I'd forgotten the words of a mighty fortress until we sang it this morning, the third verse. There's a phrase in there, the prince of darkness, grim. We tremble not for him. Lazarus comes stumbling out of the tomb with a new lease on life. Verse 44 says, a dead man, a dead man with all the trappings and appearance of death comes out of the tomb. But that's not all. There's more. Jesus has a gift, another gift to offer And that's the gift of community. To all of us who are standing nearby and we've seen this sign of God's glory, Jesus gives us the task, the responsibility, the privilege, the honor of unbinding him and letting him go and helping him claim the new life he has in Christ. Isn't that what the church is about? To help each other, to help those for whom the darkness has closed in, to walk with them and to help them find and claim the new life that Jesus offers. 
Why do we just stand there allowing others to fumble and struggle? While we do that, to fumble and struggle, Jesus says, I want you to work with me. Unbind him and let him go. Help him, help her to discover the life that I want for them. And if we're not doing that, we're not the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus knows what it's like to be abandoned in the darkness. In Eugene O'Neill's play, Lazarus Laughed, it begins where this biblical story ends. No longer is Lazarus threatened by death. The fear of death no longer has power over him. His life is full of joy and laughter. As the play ends, Lazarus stands before the Roman emperor, the man who's supposedly the most powerful person on the face of the earth, and the emperor says to Lazarus, you have a choice. You'll either stop this infernal laughter right this minute, or I'm going to put you to have you put to death. But Lazarus continues to laugh. He says to the emperor, go ahead. Go ahead and do what you will. There is no death. There is only life. And Jesus emerges from the tomb. He has the same message to give us. The first words we hear when he emerges is, Be not afraid. I believe he's saying there's only life. There's only life. And God's incredible, unimaginable mercy. According to Romans 5, Jesus comes to embody God's grace that leads to overcoming death and giving eternal life. So we don't have to be afraid when the darkness appears to be closing in or has closed in, and it has, on our lives from time to time. Those times when you can't see the tunnel, much less the light at the end of the tunnel. Yes, there is death. But more importantly, there is life. There is life. Thanks be to God, there is life. Amen.